good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people go to heaven. Uh, you can uh, wrestle with that statement a while, or you can walk with me through the sermon as we talk about that a little bit. Uh, I was up, uh, like Luke said, we were up in Denver uh, the other day, and uh, Friday afternoon rush hour traffic, and uh, my, my hotel was right on the border. I think it was, it was I-70 up there somewhere. I got off 225 and was trying to find the side street, and it was through this neighborhood that was pretty dicey, and, and I, my, my, my little phone, uh, it was telling me where to go until it wasn't. And, uh, and then, I, then I, I, got, I, I was driving, this big old truck was right there, and somebody was right here, and I was like, oh, I'm from Alamosa, man. This is too much. Uh, and then, then I saw my exit go by, and I got on I-70, rush hour. I think it was I-70. It was this big old freeway, and I was stuck. And there wasn't an audio recording, but it could have been that a curse word left my lips. <laughs> Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Now, I don't know if that was a fact or not. It, it, felt like something like that might have been happening. I finally found my hotel, but I gave, I gave God praise for what he did and allowed me to do. Uh, there's a lot of views out there about salvation. You go to some uh, non-Christian funerals, and uh, maybe you've been there at times, and what do you hear again? It's, it's I, I'm good enough for salvation. Uh, a lot of people in our culture still believe that there's a heaven. A lot of people in our culture still believe there's a hell. A lot of people in our culture have come to the conclusion through Hollywood and different uh, movies they've watched and different television shows that when they die, they're going to get their angels' wings. No ifs, ands, or buts, if they're good enough. So you go to a non-Christian funeral sometimes, and, and boy, she was a neat lady. She was the nicest lady you'll ever meet. I'm sure God's happy to have her in, in his heaven. Or he, he did so much for the community. He was a great guy. And in, in these funerals, sometimes you never hear anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You never hear anything about Jesus and his sacrifice and his death on the cross. But you hear a lot about they were good enough. So that's one view, kind of uh, uh, I'm good enough or uh, I, I've, 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 I'm not an axe murderer. I, I haven't, you know, I'm not a terrorist or something like that, so I must qualify for heaven. The other view is I've worked hard enough. A few years ago, we had uh, a lot of interactions and dialogues with the local Mormon ward. And uh, uh, one night I went over, I asked the, he, you know, there's, there's different titles for the leadership in the Mormon church. And I asked the, he, he wasn't the bishop, but he's in, in leadership I st still locally, kind of like uh, elder, elder kind of level. I said, hey, I want to come, can, can you tell me the, your gospel? I really want to hear it. So he had me over for dinner one night and we had a great, you know, just a great time of uh, talking, and his wife was wonderful, and uh, they had like a, a missionary there, and, and we, we had some great talks, and they, they laid out for me their gospel, you know, and, and uh, it, was, it was fascinating, to, and I kept asking questions, and I kept talking, and, uh, you know, LDS people, they, they use a lot of the same terminology as, as Protestants do or Catholics do, you know, it's grace of God, faith in God kind of deal, and, and the, the timeline 
right? There's a, we talked about the pre-mortal existence. You're in the spirit world before you're born according to Mormon cosmology and anthropology. You're born into this world, and then after you die, you, you, your spirit goes on, and one day there's a resurrection and a judgment, right? And depending on your beliefs and how you uh, accomplish the plan of salvation, I, I've got the little pamphlet here that I got from them. Uh, it's, it's, and, and I, you know, it, it's real, I really appreciated the conversation. You know, I asked, and they told me exactly what they believed. And, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of respect there for their character and, and their, you know, I'm thank, thankful for my LDS neighbors and et cetera, et cetera, like that. But the timeline was, after resurrection and judgment, um, if you've lived according to the gospel, their gospel, if you lived according to the plan of salvation, uh, you, you, you know, you're going to be at the highest level, the celestial kingdom. Uh, there's three levels, terrestrial kingdom and celestial kingdom. If you're a bad person, you never repented of your sins, you never did anything uh, good in this life, uh, you're going to be at the lowest level, the celestial kingdom. Okay? And if you, but, but if you're like, like me, they, they told me that I would be on the terrestrial kingdom. They're moral people, people, you know, supposedly lived honorable lives or good enough lives. You're on the terrestrial kingdom in the sense that you're, you're not with the Father, you're not with God in heaven, but you're in a good place. And you'll have the opportunity later to hear the gospel so you can eventually get to the highest level, the celestial kingdom. But it was very apparent, even though we talked about faith and we talked about grace and we talked about atonement and, and words and we tried to unpack those words, it was a fascinating evening. To, to go through that. Uh, the, the bottom line was, uh, as, as it says here in this book, our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ reside in the celestial kingdom. If you live according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and then it talks about atonement and forgiveness of sins, but if you live according to the plan of salvation, in other words, if you've worked hard enough, if you've done all the stuff you're supposed to do in that religion, then you qualify for, at the time of judgment and resurrection, you will be raised to the celestial kingdom. But if you haven't lived well enough, if you haven't followed the plan tight enough or close enough, if you haven't got an A average, you're not going to be with the Father. And so uh, it was very apparent in talking to these folks that they believed they were doing good enough, in addition to their faith in Christ, that they were doing good enough in their works to arrive one day with the Father in the celestial kingdom. And I had to differ with them. And we, we, we parted on cordial terms, and, and uh, you know, we understood each other. Uh, we have different gospels. We have different understandings of salvation. The LDS uh, plan of salvation is different from the Christian plan of salvation, or the biblical plan of salvation. And if you're watching online and you want to talk more about it, please... Uh, please connect with me, um, but I, 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 it's, it's something where it's not this idea that I'm good enough in terms of I've, I've, just, done, I've just done well enough, to get, but I've earned it. I've made my way. I've charted the course. I've, I've followed it, and that, but that's not just LDS. That's, that's worldwide religion. No matter where you go around the world, if it's Hindu or Buddhism, different plans that you have to achieve to arrive at the ends, the goal, the outcome that people want to see, that, that the, the, the religions are talking about, 
Religion is do, do, do. And when you've done enough, you do more. Because you're never sure if you've arrived, if you've, never, if you've got enough done. But there are people in our, in our midst around us that just really truly believe that they can work their way to salvation and the life after this death that we're going to go through. So what's the biblical teaching? What's the biblical point of view? What's the biblical perspective? I hope you'll investigate it with me today and look at this passage we're going to look at, but good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Please open your Bibles to the, uh, Acts chapter 10, please. We continue our march through this middle portion of the book of Acts, and we continue to come up against these, these intense teachings, these, uh, these teachings that are kind of in our face, and uh, boy, we're, we're, we're nice people, we don't want to offend anybody, but we want the truth, and we come to this uh, long passage today, and so bear with me as we read a lot of scripture. Who goes to heaven? Who's saved? Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to all the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him and departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here's this, uh, this uh, Roman uh, a centurion. He's a, a non-commissioned officer over maybe hundred, up to 100 guys. He's part of the Italian cohort, or some of your translations say Italian regiment, a group of about 600 soldiers, part of a legion, which is about 6,000 soldiers. Uh, he, he's, he's got an important job. He's, he's the on-the-ground, kind of the sergeant, kind of the, the chief petty officer, as it were, that's running the show in different places. Uh, he's, uh, he, he's, he's there in Caesarea. Caesarea is, is kind of the, in, in, in Israel back in the day, right? All the Roman soldiers around, where was their administrative hub? Where, where was the, the, the bosses at in Caesarea? It, it was a, a place that King Herod had poured a lot of money in, building Roman architecture, Roman uh, incredible works uh, of, of buildings, uh, but it was the, kind of the administration center for the Romans in that province of, of Israel and the wider province of Palestine. Um, so he, he's, he's there, and, and he's got an important position, but we find out that this man is a good man. No, no doubt about it, uh, he's a devout man, it says in verse 2. Uh, in other words, maybe some of your translations say a godly man. He feared God, right? And that, isn't that the beginning of wisdom in the Bible? Fearing God, uh, just like God, there's, there's this, this awe of God, this respect of God. But we see a lot in our culture today, there's no, no respect of God, no fear of God. Uh, it's my way, my pleasure, my happiness, no matter what. I don't care what any creator says or what any God says. But here's a man who fears God, who respects God, who's godly in, in, in many ways. He gave alms. Uh, almsgiving was something the Jewish people did on a regular basis, gave to the poor. Uh, he, gave, he took care of the poor in his midst. 
Um, sometimes we pass the buck to that, to, to organizations or institutions that we don't give to the poor. Uh, sometimes we have reasons for that and, and we have strategies for that. But it was, it was a widely expected thing. That's what you did as a Jewish person was, was give alms if you're a good person. But this guy isn't Jewish. He's Roman. Uh, he's, uh, he's well known there. Uh, feared God, gave alms, and prayed continually to God. But, but you know, when the angel comes, uh, the vision, when he sees the angel, uh, it, you know, Luke is saying this, but then the angel says to this man, hey, uh, your, your, your work, your works, your, the things you've done, your prayers, your alms, they've gone uh, before God. They've, it's like they, you know, like in the Old Testament when they put uh, sacrifices on the altar and the smell of the offering would go up and it'd be a sweet, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, his life has been a sweet aroma to God. His, his life, his goodness as a, as, a, as a Gentile, not as one of the people of God, but as a Gentile, is, is risen up to God and God's like, ah, yeah, way to go. He's pleased with Cornelius in many ways. So this, this angel comes and, uh, and he, hey, I, I've got, I, I want you to do something. I, I've got this, this guy, his name is Simon Peter. He's staying in a tanner's house down in Joppa. It's about 30 miles away, 30, 33 miles away. Send some people down and bring them back. I want, I want Peter to tell you something. So uh, look at verse 9. The next day as they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour. Uh, housetop. Yeah, it's not a pitched roof, remember, flat roof. <laughs> so he's not straddling a pitched roof. Don't get that, that picture in your mind. He's in a flat roof about the sixth hour, so at noon. He went up there to pray. The Apostle Peter, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and whatever that means. He's, you know, he's there, but he's uh, in the spirit in some fashion. And, and saw the heavens open, and something like a great sheet descending, being let down, by its four corners upon the earth. And all, in, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken at once up to heaven. Whew. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And pause there with me, please. Uh, it's, it's quite a moment for Peter, a, a big moment in his life. You know, he's probably 25, 30 years old. We're not exact, like, like, exactly sure. Uh, still, he's an apostle, but still a young man. Uh, but all his life, he's followed, followed the Jewish food laws. He, you know, he wasn't a brilliant man. He wasn't a scholar like, like Saul, Apostle Paul was. He wasn't, you know, uh, uh, trained in the highest, uh, by the highest rabbis. But he was a good Jewish man before he met Jesus. Grew up in a good Jewish home, and, and you, don't, you don't eat certain foods. The, the Mosaic Law, you can read about it in, if you could write down in Leviticus 11, if you want to read about the food laws later and the, the cleanliness laws in that whole section of Leviticus. Somebody earlier told me they, they just finished reading Leviticus, so we're going to give prizes today for whoever has read Leviticus lately. Uh, come on up, just, just kidding. Um, but Leviticus 11 is uh, cleanliness laws and, and, and food laws there. Uh, and so he's been a good Jewish man. He's never, 
never eaten anything unclean. And yet, this, this moment, like, he's got this vision of a, of a heavenly to-go box or something like that filled with all kinds of unclean foods. Uh, he sees visions of animals, you know, wild land animals or reptiles, snakes or, or wild game, wild birds, the things that, certain things that they weren't supposed to eat. And God says, eat. No, I, I've been clean. I, I've, been, I've been kosher. I've been, you know, I've been right all my life in this area. Three times God had to tell him to eat. And, and uh, you know, Peter doesn't remember that at a previous time, Jesus had declared all foods clean. You can write down Mark 7. Mark 7, if you want to study that later. Mark 7, verses 14 through 15. Uh, it, but it, it's hard for the Jewish people, like the, the Christians that, that you know, were, were all Jews, the first Christians were all Jews, and, and, and they hung out with other Jews, and it was easy for them to stay in their culture, easy for them to stay in their tradition. No one was ever pushing them. Didn't Jesus say, didn't Jesus say? Jesus had declared all foods clean. And, but, but Peter, the apostles to this point, because they hadn't had to deal with Gentiles, they didn't have to deal with it up to this point. And God wants the church to go to the ends of the earth. God wants the people of God, His people that He's redeemed, that He's made His own through Jesus' sacrifice, through faith in Jesus. He wants us to go to those people and those people and those people. And this is a moment where God wants Peter to go to those people. And those people were hated by the Jewish people. And so Peter is confronted here with some big changes in his life. He's never had to uh, think about Gentile people becoming people of God. He's never had to think about Gentile people becoming righteous as he is righteous before God. He, he probably growing up, or probably the slang, probably the favoritism, probably the, even the racism was, was so bad against Gentile people that a lot of Jewish people thought that Gentiles could never be saved. They were dogs in God's sight. And yet God is saying, go to these people. Uh, he, he gets there. He has to deal with this issue first. Peter, rise and eat. And so Peter's perplexed, and he's like, I don't understand this vision. But remember, uh, uh, Cornelius sent uh, you know, two devout people and a soldier. And we, we pick up right in verse 18. The men are at his gate. He called out to the, the, the men called out at Peter's gate, asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you're looking for. What, for what reason are you coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what uh, you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. Uh, pa pause there again. It's, it's such a fascinating, there's so much here. It's, 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 uh, so he's had this vision of, of doing something that the Jewish people wouldn't think of, you know, uh, to, to eat unclean food. God says, do it. It's okay. Uh, new covenant, old, the, the, the law was for the Jewish people, the Mosaic law. There's principles in the Mosaic law for all of people, God's people all the time. But there's certain uh, teachings in the Mosaic law that was just for the Jewish people. And those food laws, those clean, cleanliness laws were just for the Jewish people. 
Jesus, Jesus said, hey, we're done with that now that we're in the new covenant with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Old covenant times are changing into the new covenant times, and it, it started at the cross. The new covenant has come. So he doesn't, you know, Peter probably hasn't processed these things to this, this point. Uh, we're, we benefit from 2,000 years of church history and a lot of theological reflection. But, but uh, the men are there, and Peter's like, huh, these Gentiles are here. And the Spirit has to say, hey, I sent them. Go with them. Um, Peter invited them into his house. There's something really gracious here. There's something really beautiful here of uh, uh, centuries of, of really, um, dis- and again, these terms are loaded, but discrimination and racism, and, and they can be used in different ways and, and misunderstood in a lot of ways. But there's no doubt that the, the Jewish people thought of the Gentiles as dogs. And to invite them into his house, or, or, or Simon the Tanner's house, would have been a great faux pas, would have been a great mistake in many Jewish people's eyes. You can't let the unclean into your, your place of residence. And the, the, the even bigger thing is, is God told, the Spirit told Peter, go with them. Where? To Cornelius' house. <sighs> you never enter a Gentile's house as an Orthodox Jew because there's unclean things there. So, the, you know, it started off with, okay, there's these cleanliness laws, and you don't do this, and you don't do this. But then the Pharisees came along, and, and those parties like the Pharisees, they added rule upon rule. And one of the rules, tradition said, the taboo was, you never eat with a Gentile. You never go with those people, because you'll be unclean. God doesn't want you to do that. The religious people were saying that. And so here God says, go with those people, those unclean Gentiles. It's a big moment in Peter's life, a big jump, a big change that God is asking him to participate in. But why, why is God's, why, you know, there's two visions here. There's this meeting that God is orchestrating. God is always ahead of us initiating salvation. God, is, by his spirit, by his word, is always ahead of us initiating the transformation of people that he wants to see saved. Sovereign God always goes ahead. Jesus always initiates. The spirit always starts something. We're called to join in his work. And that's what's happening here. So verse 23, he invited them to be his guests. Wow. The next day he rose and went with him and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanying him. Um, there is, we're not going to have time to read this whole, it goes into chapter 11, but there were six Jewish brothers who had become Christians that accompanied him. And so with Peter, there's seven witnesses that go to Cornelius' house, seven Jewish Christians that go there. You know, uh, so there's, there's being something being set up here. Uh, and on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. It's a big deal in Cornelius' mind. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter said, hey, stand up. I too am a man. Talked with him and he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you've sent for me. Oh, the vision clicks for Peter. 
God was telling me through this vision of the, all these different animals that are clean that nobody in the sense of, of the, food, the cleanliness laws is unclean. That nation, whether in Antarctica or, uh, you know, or the Arctic or, or Scandinavia or Asia or wherever you want to go, South America, North America, nobody is unclean before God. In other words, all people have this made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God. Again, the Mosaic Law was for the Jewish people, much of it for a certain place, for a certain time, for a certain season. For the church, we're supposed to go to the ends of the earth. To everybody, every tribe, tongue, people group, language, skin color, whatever. Nobody is out of bounds, in other words. Nobody's taboo. Peter gets it. It's, it's, a, it's a big moment in his life again. But he says, uh, why did you, why, why am I here? Why did you ask me to come? Verse, tw- verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the, at the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. <laughs> Again, the goodness of, of Cornelius. His servant said, he's so good, even the Jewish people respect him. And, and so we, we look at that, and um, uh, again, I, I have to underline this. In, 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 if the Jewish people respected him, what, what that means is godly devout, that Cornelius was probably trying to keep all the Jewish laws. He never converted, which would mean circumcision and baptism, he was a God-fearer, but he, he was, the, the Jewish people in Caesarea saw him as a good man, as a good person. So, verse 32, the angel said, Send therefore to Joppa and ask, ask for Simon, who is called Peter. His lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So, I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. And that's an understatement. <laughs> now, therefore, we all here are, we're, we're all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Um, I'm going to, just in, in a little time, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. If you look at chapter 11, verse 14, it's not on the screen, uh, so it's chapter 11, verse 14. Uh, uh, we, we learn there that uh, when Simon, I'll, I'll start in 13, he told us how the how he had sent the angels to stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. Verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So uh, we get a little bit more of the story. That's how Acts works. You read one section, and there's a little bit more in the next section, and you've got to read everything in context. So what Cornelius heard from the angel was, hey, uh, you, you've been a good person in so many ways, and and I'm going to grace you with the way to be saved. I'm going to send somebody to your house. His name is Simon, and he's going to share the gospel with you. And so Cornelius gathered all his relatives and all his friends, right? He, he was looking for opportunities. He was praying for opportunities, perhaps, in some fashion. Uh, the, the, God told him, this is how you're going to be saved. And I, I have to underline again that he wasn't saved already. He wasn't saved because he was a good man. He wasn't righteous in the sight of God just because he did a lot of good things. He needed to be saved. So there they are, right? Uh, they're waiting, with, you know, come on, tell us, tell us. So Peter opened his mouth. 
Again, it's a, that's, a, that's a phrase in Acts and other places. It's a big deal. He opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Some of your translations say, God shows no favoritism. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what, what is right is acceptable to him. Now, acceptable on, on, a, on a general level. Like, God is pleased when people do good things. Whether you're you know, Muslim or, or Hindu or Buddhist, if, if, you're doing, if you're loving people, treating people right, God's pleased with that. doesn't mean you're saved. doesn't mean you're justified. doesn't mean you're declared righteous. It's just that God's very pleased. You know, God sends his reign upon the good and the bad, the general grace of God. God appreciates when all the people in the world made in his image when they do good. doesn't mean you're saved. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So he's saying, you guys know the story. You guys have been in this area about Jesus and what God did through him. He went about good, doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So the Messiah came. Peter's saying, the Messiah has come. He's the one anointed by God. But they killed him. They hung him on a tree to die. They destroyed him. But God, verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him appear. Not only to all, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. <laughs> he came as Messiah. He was killed by the plan of God, we learned in Acts 2, by the fore, fore, foreknowledge, the plan of God, the, the, the decree of God. He was killed. And he was raised on the third day. He was raised to life. And, verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is uh, the risen Savior. He's the ascended Lord, and he's the judge of every person on the earth now. He's the one who will judge all the peoples of the earth, no matter what, what your race is, no matter what your ethnicity is, no matter what your, your language is, no matter uh, what your economic level is. <laughs> No, no, no matter what country you're from, your nationality, he's the judge of all, whether they're dead or they're still living. Which is a pretty terrifying thing when you think about it. What's his standard of judgment? Perfection. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. A holy God is a perfect God, without flaw, without error, without sin. And there's me, cussing in traffic. There's me and all the sins I've committed. There's you and all the things you've done wrong against people, all the ways that you've Sinned. All the skeletons in your closet that people don't know about. If you were to stand before the judge of the world, would you have any hope in and of yourself? 
Absolutely not. For you're not perfect. James 2.10, James 2.10 and 11, just to give a picture of how serious this is, for those who think I'm good enough, for those who think I've done enough, I've worked the plan hard enough, I've earned it, uh, speaking to maybe some Jewish people who thought they've earned it, maybe some Pharisees. Verse 10 of James chapter 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Verse 11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. All of us have transgressed the law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3 says. If we stood before the judge in and of our own righteousness, we're all dead. So we go back to Acts 10. And Peter's uh, preaching here, and he's saying to them, in verse 42 again, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Uh, what, what, a, what, a great, what a great moment for all those people gathered in the house. They realized that they could, you know, they, they knew that they weren't perfect. They, they knew that they hadn't achieved anything great. They, they knew that even though they tried to be devout, tried to be holy, tried to be righteous, they hadn't arrived. And yet the gospel points to this Jesus. God sent a Messiah, a Savior. He died in your place for the remission of your sins. He stood in your place as a substitute, took the wrath of God against your sins. All, all of God's anger at your sin was poured out on Jesus because he was your sin bearer. He died in your place because of your sins, paying off your sins, as Pete read from Isaiah 53. Pierced for your transgressions and crushed for your iniquities. All of the justice of God, not on you, but on Jesus. Paid in full. And so Peter brings the sermon to a head. He brings it to a point. He says, all the prophets, the whole Bible, in other words, speaks about this Jesus, bears witness to this Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In other words, in believing in him. Um, we're not saved by being good enough because none of us are going to be good enough. We're not saved by, I've done all the work because you've never done all the work. Only one person has ever been perfect, Jesus the Christ. We are saved by believing in Jesus, repenting and believing in Jesus, trusting him for our salvation, trusting him to save us. He's done the work. He's accomplished it. Not my works, but his works. Believe in Jesus and his works, and you will be saved. All the sins you've committed, shouldn't they be forgiven? They can be. 
all the things that you don't want anybody else to know about, all, all your anxieties and all your fears and all your, the things that, you, that you've done against people can be forgiven. But you have to repent and believe in Jesus. That's the way of salvation. Good people aren't saved. Forgiven people are saved. Are you forgiven? You can be. Put your faith. Rest the weight of your sins on Jesus Christ. Depend on Him. And Him alone. And you will be saved. You'll be justified, justified, declared righteous, received by God. I've got to close off this passage. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So all the people in the house, the household, all who heard it, all who understand it, all who got it. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And, and boy, a Jewish person would like, even on the Gentiles, even on those dogs, even on those losers, those those far people from God, because they believed they were saved. And the Holy Spirit came as a sign of their salvation. For they were hearing Him speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone without, without, withhold water for, from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Just as we have, He's going back to Pentecost. Remember how the Holy Spirit came upon them because they believed that they believed the Holy Spirit came and, the, and then there's a manifestation and preaching. And, and nobody could say no to that. And so he commanded that them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What happened there was he's preaching about, you know, the, the, everyone's gathered. We want to hear the word. We want to hear the, God's sal- you know, what God has to say. And Peter preached and said, hey, Jesus is your Savior. He died. He rose. Anybody who believes in him can be saved. And, and while he's preaching, they're, they're repenting and they're believing and, and as a sign to the apostle and the, the six other witnesses, they're the Jews that didn't believe that Gentiles could be saved. As a sign to them, the Holy Spirit comes in, in, a, in an outward way. They're speaking in tongues. So it, it, I have to say it. Like, just, you know, th- there's some belief going on that, uh, that once you're saved, you have to have the second blessing. You have to speak in tongues at some point. No, that, that's not what's going on in Acts. The, it, it's, a, it's a proof to the Peter and the, the witnesses to go back to the Jerusalem church and say, yeah, they were saved. We saw the sign. God gave us proof. But the flow of salvation is always the same. A preaching of the gospel, a repentance and a belief, a regeneration, salvation, followed by uh, uh, what's happened, what you, what you experienced on the inside, happening on the outside, you're baptized as a testimony to what God has done. Uh, if you are here today and you've trusted in a plan of salvation that depended on your works, repent. Believe only in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him alone. If you're here today thinking that you've been good enough all this li- this, these days and if you die tomorrow, you'd go to heaven because I'm good enough. Repent. Leave that idea behind. Turn to Jesus Christ right now even. And believe Him for salvation, and you will be saved. If you want to talk about that a little bit more after the service, I'll be up front. Uh, If you want to pray with somebody else today, please meet a believer here and talk a little bit more. But make the decision for Christ today. 
and he will save you. Please stand in his presence. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for letting us come today and worship you and give you thanks. You're so worthy. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our, our deliverer, our rescuer, our forgiver. We love you, Lord. May the message go forth. May there be more and more people that come under the reign of the King. May there be more and more people forgiven of their sins. May there be more and more people who are saved, Lord, by your power. Initiate more. Send us, a great initiator of faith and salvation, Holy Spirit, Send forth your word. Send forth your people to bring the message of salvation to, to more and more people. And as more and more people come, Lord, may you be worshipped more and more and glorified more and more. Praise you, Lord. Honor you today, Lord. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.